welcome to a Baudry Buffet audiobook by Dame Drusel Scream. This novel captures the asinine prose audiences grew to tolerate and even like. Scream would later describe Baudry Buffet as a detective who trusted her gut, which never led her astray, even though she was really, really bad at most other things, and that attitude wasn't helping anybody. And her intentions aren't good, but she does good, somehow, eventually. Published late in the dame's career as a writer and very late in her career as the town orthodontist, the Redondo Badge heralded today's story as a C-plus effort with many points where the reader wants to pelt a dish across the room and scream, get to the point! Scream was noted by the Tampa Beacon as an Agatha Christie who doesn't seem to respect her reader's time, like someone speaking to hear themselves speak. And sure enough, audiences grew to adore Scream as an author who would ask questions no one else would because the answers were so obvious. Now that we've said all those nice things about the author because her estate was so upset last time when we mentioned her beheading, we present a verbatim reading of the Novella, the woman who pretended to be her own twin. Chapter One No one sees each other anymore. They don't have real conversations anymore. And they're never really at the place they're at. And they're never eating what they think they are. Joyless greetings aimed at no one in particular, frisbeed at whatever grinning coworker or flock of birds is nearby. All this was to say a drunk, young, and full of cum, Bargery, was working as a telemarketer, where you cold call some number and tell them their bank account has been hacked into and the house is on fire or whatever. This other girl, Charlotte, sat with her back to Bargery when she was working. Charlotte was... Yeah. She was fine. Bargery could talk over her and borrow snacks, and once even regretted hanging out with her outside of work. A gas station pastry of a person who wasn't good enough to want more of but overall fine. But Bargery didn't see nearly enough of the back of Charlotte's head because she was rarely at her telephone. Instead, Charlotte would walk up to Bargery's desk since Bidge was the manager so she had a desk and dawdle with something on it. She'd stand there waffling and dithering and dally-dillying. Bargery would finally look up from dishing it with the operators when it would become clear her lower down wasn't going to allow the apathetic manager to listen in on phone calls. So Bidge would have to ask for a rain check on getting patched in on the mayor's many private and personal conversations. Just to entertain a woman boring enough to be bored all the time. Charlotte rumbled ramblings about all the bills she wouldn't pay and how anyone only really needs one good light bulb in an entire house. Bargery almost immediately grew sick of jiggling her knee, so she'd check a running spreadsheet she kept of every employee's birthday. Bargery was a libertarian, which is why it was so bittersweet that radio personality Howard Stern was only running for governor in New York. Bargery wasn't satisfied with seeing the president play one instrument on television. The president should have an entire radio hour for that garbage, and maybe even have other people play the instruments. Bargery loved gimmicks. Everybody loved gimmicks because that was the 90s. And oh, it was the early to mid 90s. The only thing Bargery knew was that as a libertarian and a manager, she would just have to allow everyone to manage themselves. So most of her time was spent tweaking the birth dates to abuse the system and trick her higher-ups into buying a cake every day. It was a surefire headache of a job, but Bargery certainly wasn't about to start packing a lunch. Charlotte had a birthday on the same date as another worker, which was more annoying than interesting. So 
So Bardry smudged the date, and the universe bowed to her bloodthirst for birthday cake. Whoever this Darla was, she was now three months younger than a minute ago. What was really wild about Charlotte was despite peddling nonsense and fluff around the office, she seemed to have an incredible work ethic. Marjorie saw Charlotte in her belted t-shirt ensemble on the telephone, doing an amazing impression of a moron robot to some geriatric that was currently filling their dipe under the weight of bad news. But the next minute, Marjorie would also see Charlotte cleaning up everyone's lunches, wearing a janitor's jumpsuit. Marjorie smiled at the thought of jumpsuits. Of all the burdens imposed on women, consider an outfit where you have to get naked just to pee. Marjorie thought about how each time she tried to see which hole her urine was coming from, it changed. The work of decoding her genitals exhausted Marjorie. Actually, the idea of any work ethic left Marjorie craving a seven-hour nap. So when she realized not doing her job felt the same as doing it, she'd kick up her crocs and regale the whole office with her hilarious stories about her insane wet roommate. The birthday cake scheme totally backfired within one party-laden month, and Bardry was stripped of her badge, gun, and obviously title, and then pretty much asked never to return. It was fine. She was making money on the side, tracking runaway pets, and their owners were usually so grateful she could show up and expect a full dinner, two glasses of Merlot and dessert included. Lost pet posters evaporated from the streets of Truckee, and a few pets, the ones who had gotten away for a good reason, usually could be bribed to return to the home, ransack the place, and sell that junk, so Bardry could use the money to get them a one-way ticket to some unpronounceable Greek island. She could keep the rest, since what would a cat need money for? Nothing. That's what. The point of all of that is that Bardry could afford to hang out at some really swanky new hotspots. Plenty of stylish, loveless bars that were sexy and bland, like some recluse decided a dentist's office should have marble walls. So one day she found herself at this freaky hidden bar that's actually a nationwide chain, where the waiters all yell at you. They weren't even necessarily mean to you. Actually, you can get a dressing down before 4pm, and it said so on a big sign when you first walked in. Other places might have a painted sign that says, Line here, or bathrooms. This one had that. The insulting and name-calling only started at happy hour, and honestly, it was still pretty wimpy, since management was terrified they'd overserve some chump and wouldn't let anyone get lectured for more than an hour. Marjorie found it refreshing to be screamed at with that politely friendly summer job energy. The novelty really was just the bump in volume to what she preferred, which was hollering. As a young girl, Marjorie had been sent to eat outside some nights, only because people's pigtails would blow back when she participated in the conversation. She eventually learned to whisper, or talk, after summering in a dome with insane acoustics. Today, the waitress could really bellow. Actually, Marjorie was positive she knew the woman, but Marjorie remembered neither faces nor names, only eyes, and she rarely looked most people in their squinchy little rat windows. Marjorie honed in on the nagging idea that this woman was her old co-worker, but all that reminded her of was nothing. You only remember the character's name is Charlotte because you read it like a second ago. But for Marjorie, it had been at least a few months, and she was really busy with other stuff. So when Charlotte, a.k.a. the anonymous waitress, dropped off a glass of water on the menu but acted like she didn't know Marjorie, Bidge gladly obliged. Marjorie had never been attracted to that one woman who worked two jobs in the same office, and besides, would have never gone for an employee. Because when they got together, that person would probably laugh too hard at Marjorie's amazing stories, making everyone else in the office a little uncomfortable, and after it all went kaput, they would try not to laugh at all, which wouldn't ruin anyone else's time, but it wasn't ideal. Also, it would be an abuse of power, which is only ever hot on paper. In execution, it's skeezy. 
Bargery was not skeezy. So what had changed? A drop of spittle flecked Bargery's hand and left another drop of spittle down there in her long and winding vagina. Bargery knew she was turned on because she didn't even flinch hearing the waitress call a free side of ranch awesome sauce. Being horny makes people dumb, which is why no one should online shop before getting that out of the way. You'll buy some table and not even check the dimensions, and then it won't fit in the breakfast nook you wanted it for. The waitress emerged from the kitchen, laden with plates. Was it Bargery's food? Was it someone else's? Bargery stiffened her butt cheeks and leaned on her toes a tiny bit to see. It was her food, all right. She jabbed her tongue around her mouth for any little food burns or cuts from a really fucked up potato chip. Nope, there was nothing to stop her from tucking in. Nice. Bargery knew what had changed. Her former employee from that other place, who was now an employee here, was wearing glasses. That's what it was. It gave her face structure and purpose. You know how some people just look better with glasses? Well, she was apparently one of those people. Bargery had gotten a milkshake and Mondo nachos. She pulled her eyes from the cold dairy beverage next to spicy, spicy nachos and admired the woman again. Wow, her posture was completely different. Maybe she'd found a good therapist since they last worked together. When she handed Bargery the strawberry cheesecake malt, their eyes met. It was totally on. The waitress's pupils dilated with joy as she sputtered. I heard about that iguana you talked down from a skyscraper ledge. How'd you do it? Bargery wasn't used to getting recognized because she hadn't gotten famous yet. She blushed. He just needed to listen to logic and a very cute little bucket to put him in while I climbed down. Hey, I don't think I got your name and your name tag is covered by your shiny brown hair. The waitress opened her mouth and her lips did a bit of a cha-cha slide. Dear Mork who art in heaven. It didn't matter what this not boring anymore woman said. It was a sonic boom and Bargery felt alive for the first time that lunar cycle. Sorry, I heard Merlot. Is that spelled like Merlot? Bargery cried out like a heavyweight of the penis game. No, Merlot is just spelled like Merlot. Oh, great. Anyway, Bargery's dairy hall slithered down real nice on her totally wrecked throat, and she wrote down her number on the back of the receipt and left a respectable tip. Bargery gathered her coat and bag and looked for the waitress. She was now serving a family of three, and had put a steak in front of an adult woman, who pushed it to the baby in a high chair like when the waiter hands you someone else's dish. What was that about? Bargery thought about how much she hated bows on babies. The desperation to be cute was a stench worse than the docks. Bidge needed to get to the docks. After Bidge got done doing what she was doing at the docks, she went home. Her landline rang. She let it go to voicemail in case it was the public library. The debt she had accrued was so great she might be forced into indentured servitude for them. But it wasn't the library. What a relief. Actually, it was the hot waitress. She was talking about how great it was that it was almost the weekend and laughing at all her own jokes. Bargery picked up the phone, balancing it against her chin so she could properly control a spray can of ragu. She listened, shellacking the giant meatball in marinara. She did that because she was making a really huge meatball in her kitchen. It reveled on the counter, impaled through the center as she seasoned and spiced it and occasionally treated it like a punching bag. Probably Charlotte, but now Merlot's words, zipped by like a school bus fleeing cops on the highway. So Bidge did what any skunk with a dream would. Perched on the metaphorical median strip, she eyed her objective amidst this dizzying parade of a conversation. Getting a word in, edge or otherwise. She spied her chance and leapt into action. Whereas an animal might want to cross multiple lanes of traffic, Bargery just wanted to speak. But the situations were similar, too, because both a rodent and Bargery would surely never reach their goal if they faltered for even a moment, and each would be chopped into a dog food McFlurry. Except in Bargery's case, not really. Bargery cleared her throat and the phlegm scattered like a gripe of ravens offended by an oncoming snowplow. Yeah, she crowed. Yeah, what? Merlot inquired. Crap. This is what happened when Bargery tuned out. 
Oh, I was saying yes to my sister. She asked if I fixed the toilet. You have a sister? Yeah, a twin. Marjorie could have slapped her own face. Why was she doing this? Her toilet was broken. Plus, she definitely didn't have any siblings. Marjorie's mother's pregnancy had been rocky, and Bidge never heard the end of it. Amazing. I have a twin sister, too, Merlot squeaked. Hold on. Was that why she looked just like Bidge's old inferior? Or was this part of a drawn-out charade to protect actually Charlotte's pride and Bargery's unwillingness to ask someone for their name more than once? Cool, let's make it a double date. The words slithered out of Bargery's mouth like yogurt pressed through teeth gaps. Wow, absolutely. So you said you'd pick me up? Bargery must have agreed to that when she was fantasizing about a Rocky sequel starring her and this hulking meatball. Yeah, my sister will meet us there. Merlot didn't know Bargery was lying, so she agreed, and three days later, they went on a date. Chapter 2 It was three days later, and Bargery knocked on the hot waitress's front door. One of these alleged twins answered the door and greeted Bargery in whispers. No glasses this time. Yikes. Not a total yikes, but definitely a downgrade. In lieu of a greeting, Bargery planted her feet and let loose the mating call of a brown bear. Just as an avalanche would ensue from Mother Nature's booty call in all caps, so too the woman winced. This woman wore a floor-length black gown with absolutely no details, like a fabric trash bag that even the most prude of Victorian ghosts would never be caught alive in, and a necklace. In cursive it read, Charlotte. Oh, that was it, the name of her co-worker. Charlotte. Man, that felt like getting a rock out of the shoe that is a brain. I'm so sorry, bitch. My sister died very suddenly, two and a half days and five hours and 58 minutes ago. Right after we set our date, Bargery gasped. Bargery rolled her eyes on the inside. It was so simple. There had always been one sister. And she protected Bargery's pride by dreaming up and killing off a twin sister. And now she'd phase the fake Merlot out. Bargery was fine with that. Less work for her. Oh no, Bargery simpered. So you don't want to cut a rug at the Cineville? Charlotte sniffled and adjusted her veil. She stepped back, permitting Bargery to come in. Not that she explicitly said it, but the body language was there. Maybe after a snack I'll be up for it. Charlotte mewled like a kitten in a sack. Bargery grunted like a kitten in the sack. An old kitten having sex, but not so old it's not hot. Despite being semi-blinded by snacks and potential sex, Bidge couldn't deny that the home had a crazy neighbor's lawn feel. We're talking wind chimes hung off a knob and gnomes guarding vacation pictures. Bidge eyed a tiki bar with a TV atop where alcohol should have been. Bargery spied a wind chime chandelier made of genuine crystal. How did this woman's meager salary cover a mortgage as well as top-shelf Home Depot doodads? Bargery's post as manager barely scraped in $6 an hour, and minimum wage was far less. President Stern would surely bump the minimum wage up, just like he bumped Bargery's favorite jams. Charlotte popped in and out of the living room with a tea tray and a honey bottle Bargery immediately emptied. It was wild to see someone play hostess in a full-on dowager queen getup. The women snacked, and Charlotte told Bargery she might cry while they were out, and Bargery reminded her it wasn't that kind of movie. Yeesh, the commitment to pretend to grieve. But won't your sister want to date Bargery? Or is she the one I'm going on a date with and you sit behind us? Bargery stood to evade this question and spied the most gorgeous novelty item in the entire world, which was in this backyard. It was a 600 to 1 replica of the Eiffel Tower. That Eiffel Tower you've got, it's slamming. Looks new. Who was dumb enough to part ways with her? Tiny Mini Golfland's fire sale. It was a mini golf course designed specifically for toddlers, so it was quite small, not much market. Well, you buried that lead better than a body. Charlotte winced. She had just buried her sister, allegedly. Oh, right. Bargery didn't feel like walking back her statement. Want to go on this date or what? 
Won't your sister want a date too? Said Charlotte as Marjorie gassed up her cool purple Mustang convertible. Marjorie so resented putting the top up just because it was November and freezing. Santa gets to fly around in open air in the dead of winter, so why not her? I'm sure she won't mind. They got to the multiplex. The elderly milled in the lobby like sacred cattle, unafraid of ever being hit by a car. Unattended children skittered about the concession stand like sacred cats hyped up on sugar. It was an ideal setting for romance. Is your sister here? Oh, and what's her name? Her name is Largery. Yep, Largery. That's it. Yeah, she'll be here any minute. I have to go and poop. Okay, I'll wait here. Marjorie walked to the women's restroom, glanced behind her, and saw Charlotte was preoccupied with a popcorn kernel attached to her wool purse. Caramel corn was a sticky mistress, all right. Marjorie popped open a window and shimmied down a drain pipe. Once in front of the multiplex again, she remembered she needed a disguise. Marjorie stuffed her hat in her pocket and unwrapped a stick of fossilized gum to chew. That could be this sister's thing. She'd be the gum twin. It really was all in the performance. Marjorie ascended the escalator and greeted Charlotte as his fake sister with a slight hunchback and did that whole song and dance before explaining she had matching crones with real Marjorie and skedaddled off. A moment later, Marjorie strode out with her pocket free of the hat and stuffed with that damp blob of bullshit candy, which is what gum is. Let's get our snacks, head in, Marjorie commanded. Shouldn't we wait for Marjorie? No, she'll take forever. Her body is a disaster. Oh, Okay. So they bought one medium popcorn and one unsweetened iced tea and one extra sweetened moxie. Moxie is a kind of soda. It's not very popular in most of the country or the world because it doesn't taste great. That's why Marjorie added the extra sugar. So then they found seats and watched a brand new movie called Forrest Gump. Marjorie did the switcheroo act a few more times, but Charlotte really wasn't paying attention because the movie was super good. Marjorie could explain that Marjorie had to go home 10 minutes before the movie ended. Because just like some people don't like trailers, Marjorie didn't like the ends of movies. Sure, whatever would put all this pretend twin business to rest. So that happened, and Charlotte slash Merlot bought it, and Marjorie dropped her back off since there really was no chemistry at all. Marjorie had been right not noticing her all those months. Eleven days later, Marjorie awoke at 3.58pm. She hadn't been unconscious since the date or anything. The days in between just aren't relevant to the story. Anywho, it was perfect timing. Her busiest time of the day was 4pm, when latchkeys arrived home only to discover their beloved pet had made a break for it. Marjorie drank her breakfast lemonade and smiled at the dying winter sun outside her kitchen window, imagining all the Kahlua she'd buy from shouting a pet's name in the street. The landline roared. Another guinea pig to pay this month's rent. Minutes later, Marjorie was zooming around in her dope diesel-burning car to do the bidding of a lisping fourth-grade valedictorian who lost a snake. It could be at the zoo or a shoe. Marjorie wasn't entirely fluent in baby-sobbing. But as her sweet purple Mustang passed Charlotte's house, she noticed a big package out front with a red square logo, and something clicked together, like multiple unrelated pieces that hurt to step on, but once joined form a really fun toy. Her detective vision was emerging, and like 3D glasses, it would soon see things no one else could, but until her eyes adjusted, it just left her with a baffling headache. She pulled over, on the verge of something very important, and then got distracted by that Eiffel Tower in the backyard again. Looks like Christmas came late, Marjorie exulted, watching the grieving woman struggle with the package. Oh, actually, it's a big Eiffel Tower Lego set to match my even bigger miniature Eiffel Tower. Great, so you won't need the other one. I'd like to buy it off ya. Merlot looked uncertain, which was weird since someone was offering her money. She sniffled. Oh, yeah, allergy season. No, I'm grieving my sister. Look, I'm gonna go take your Eiffel Tower for a spin while you decide. Marjorie barged out the back door, her mind drag racing. The dead twin, the Lego set. Something about all this nagged at her worse than her disastrous fumble at trivia night last Thursday at the Dock Pub. 
She needed to think, or at least to treat a cultural icon as her own private jungle gym. But as Bardry was king-konging the tippity-top of the tower, she spotted what she didn't know she was sure she would perhaps see, an inconsistency in the sea of snow. Chapter 3 See, the ground below the mini trampoline was more or less void of snow, and yet a mere two feet away, the outdoor dining table was packed in, almost as much below as above. Marjorie jumped down from her perch to inspect the incongruity. She moved the tiny tramp, finding fresh soil underneath in the otherwise frozen yard. She dug until her nails scraped wool. She glimpsed a blanket, but those weren't tassels sticking out, it was hair. Marjorie staggered backwards like an 18-wheeler in reverse, sands the dope beeping. She eyed the strange lady inside, fingers interlocked around her mug like a damn blanket ad. Bidge needed to stall whoever this woman really was. Good thing Barjorie could have landed a Las Vegas residency in stalling, and one day would with Elton as her opener. Barjorie reminded herself that the woman was just Merlot, who had pretended to be a woman named Charlotte once upon a time, who had then lost her own sister, which was also Merlot. What? Barjorie summoned a deep breath and reminded herself she had never let herself down before, no matter what everyone else said. She went back inside as the glass door squeaked like a titmouse excusing itself, and found herself kicking snow off her boots back on carpet, a solid meter from the doormat. I am head for the heels in love with your Eiffel. It'll go great with my big windmill and my three pipes that lead to different places and all my other mini-golf stuff, Bardry said. Merlot's lips puckered, and she blew imaginary steam off her room-temperature beverage. Then why don't I help you put it in your car? No, it won't fit. My back seat's full of iguanas that are dearly missed by sweet children. Bardry countered as she sat down and swaddled herself in a blanket. Bardry felt the moths of anxiety in her gut. Far more malicious than mere flirty butterflies, she really was all over the place probably because she was so out of her depth. So, um, did your sister ever tell you about working with me? Yeah, the call center. She missed your stories about your totally pervert roommate, the marine biologist. Nurse shark nurse, actually. She would tell me them, but I think she'd bungle the punchline because they never really made sense. Bargerie looked deep into the strange woman's eyes and didn't see too much. No indication of what she was feeling. Now, zoom out and consider those windowsills to the soul, the eyelids. There's plenty of expression in those, because they're muscle and skin that can crinkle and squint, unlike eyeballs, which can very literally be swapped out for marbles. Merlot's lower left eyelid was twitching up a storm. What was Bidge doing? Here she was, sitting with a murderer, no backup, some part of her wanting to expose this killer, but knowing the only safe thing to do was to bolt out of that door right this moment. Bargery was too enticed by the worst decision. So hard to get paws on a gimmick item like your Eiffel Tower. You know, my screaming purple Mustang was actually hung from the ceiling of an Elvis-themed diner until it pancaked a patron. Before that, it belonged to some old hippie rocker who'd drive around with his bangle. I don't mean the bracelet, even though he wore plenty. Well, the jewelry wore him, but that's a different story. This guy had a full-on bangle tiger. Until one day, they get in a fight, a verbal fight. Three days later, he reupholsters the interior with his best bud. He got the flesh cremated, kept a single tooth. Or at least that's what People Magazine says. That's all very interesting, Bargery. Oh, really? Because I told the story to the office and you were there. Bargery stood up and paced, looking cool as her blanket trailed behind, almost like a cape if disbelief was suspended. Or are you just not a good listener? Merlot was offended. I'm a great listener. Yeah, were you listening in the womb or were you wishing you could off your twinsie? This shut Merlot up. At first I thought Charlotte and Merlot were one and the same. A woman who reverse hot chicked herself by putting on glasses. All because you were too embarrassed to 
reintroduce yourself. Why would I be the one embarrassed in that scenario? But you do have a twin. You did. But she died, and now after losing a roommate and paying for a funeral, are you hurting for cash? No! You're buying the most expensive plastic thing there is. Legos. Big ones especially. Oh my gosh. That is a pretty nickel. You killed your sister for her life insurance. Now don't try and kill me or else we're definitely going out again. Marjorie's explanation was pretty good, but there's definitely some holes in it. The screen door waited politely for Marjorie to finish her sentence before squelching open like a cheese grater grating cream cheese. A woman identical to the one on the couch marched in. Marjorie wasn't ready for that. This woman's voice was taut, like she wasn't used to being in charge, but dagnab it, now she was, so let's just get this settled and quick. Who is this bizarre woman and why does she have juice mouth? Marjorie remembered she'd been downing wine as a weekday solution to having to apply lipstick. Charlotte, you're alive? The two women exchanged a look. Yep, and I so loved working under you. But the grave, Marjorie stuttered. It's a mass grave and it's for the guppies Charlotte keeps overfeeding. Marjorie stared hard into the eyes of the liar. She knew fish didn't have hair. Maybe mermaids, but those weren't even invented yet. Bickering drowned out Marjorie's thoughts. I didn't overfeed them. You messed with the pH until they were pickled. Marjorie had to run out in the middle of this conversation like some kind of coyote Jesus stopping traffic. Okay, wait, what? Marjorie asked. What? The twins countered. Wow, it really was creepy how identical they were. The door opened again. Hang on, what? Oh man. A third sister waltzed in. Also identical, but so, so much hotter. Marjorie knew this was the real Merlot. That was the screeching siren who brought her an entire bottle of ranch when she asked for a side. Marjorie's clit was a compass pointing towards justice and it knew it was looking at the truth. But that meant one of these triplets who was pretending to be a twin had another identity. Marjorie's noggin ached from lust and confusion. Marjorie's eyes widened till she looked like a Disney princess. She turned to the equally bland, lame sisters that weren't Merlot. She focused on the one pretending to be Merlot. It's you. You. You were the janitor at Collie's call center. It wasn't a fluke in the birthday sheet. There were just three of you, and two were working there. The triplet pretending to be Charlotte erupted. Seriously? No, I'm that triplet. You never remembered. How? How? I was a human shield so that ice cream cone you dropped wouldn't stay in the office carpet. You forgot who I am? I'm Darla. I'm freaking Darla. This was unexpected. So you faked your death, three triplets living the lives of two twins, a veritable shell game of entangled lives, all to spend the cash on high-end backyard garbage and higher-end brick toy versions of it. Marjorie looked at fake Charlotte, or Darla, as she seemed to prefer to be called. You realized you could disappear because I made you disappear, then I treated you like you were invisible. Finally, Marjorie got it. She was considering other people's feelings for the first time in a while. It was difficult and not at all fun. Marjorie bound up Darla's wrists with a clever scrunchy knot and realized now might be the time to phone the actual police. Or Marjorie could push her luck and deliver these triplets to justice. And yes, it's bizarre that these three rolled over for one woman. But keep in mind, all the Wilt sisters were anemic and slightly inbred. Marjorie was 5'10 and was always misremembered as a cool six feet. So Marjorie stuffed them all like the stuffed sardines in her back seat. You know, those huggable sardine toys for kids that you see everywhere these days. Marjorie aimed a quip at the two sisters sitting farther from her. So you thought you'd be three little bears of crime where all you bears are baby bear and no one's mama or papa bear. But daddy law's here and he's Goldilocks. Here to take you from your warm home. She clucked. She had a lot of progress to make in some ways. The hair I found in your backyard mass grave. Is it even a guppy catacomb? Those guppies died because of me, Darla sobbed. 
and that was my wig, Darla spat. You didn't notice I came in one day as a blonde, and I was so upset, I overchlorinated the guppy tank, and I buried them wrapped in that stupid wig. Marjorie took one last look at the truly unhinged home of indoor lawn decorations. She could have had a life here, with Merlot and her weird-ass jungle gym. She considered the three adult women that had lived in a two-bedroom house and wondered if Darla just slept in the living room or what. Darla sat closest to Barjorie, and Barjorie had a hard time looking this woman in the eye, not because her existence mattered so little, but rather because of the guilt crawling up Barjorie's throat. Darla glared at her and spat. You can't see anyone, Barjorie Buffet, or anything outside of yourself, and you're gonna stumble through life, blind to what's going on around you. Barjorie hadn't zoned out on that statement, but wished she had. Years later, Barjorie would wonder what happened to the Legos, and then she'd go back, and they were still there. The end. Thank you for joining us. Come back next week for the audiobook, I Scream, You Scream, We All Scream When I Scream.